you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We are in our third week of this series called I Am. Somebody say, I Am. And it's been so important to our church. It's been a blessing to my life personally. We're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I think Pastor Johnny kicked us off a couple weeks ago talking about the bread of life in John 6, 35, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then if you were here last week, we talked about Jesus in John 15 saying, I am the vine. And so today, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, I want to talk to you about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, the light of the world. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little history lesson, and this should come with a warning label um, because it's going to sound very academic, and so I don't want anybody to fall asleep. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're not taking a nap. I want to give you a little bit of the history uh, that's going to really make this text pop. When you know the backstory and a little bit of the content, then it makes what you read come to life. And my prayer for us today is that we would take a familiar passage. Many of you, you've heard this uh, for a number of years. Sometimes you know these stories so well, but I pray that God would give us fresh perspective, uh, a new set of eyes as we look at this in John chapter 8. You know, every biblical holiday given to the Jewish people it, it has three aspects. When God instituted certain feasts and festivals, I've been reading in Leviticus, y'all pray for me, I've uh, been hanging out in Leviticus, and uh, in Leviticus 23, there are actually seven different feasts or festivals that God commands the Hebrew people to observe. And I love that about our God because it says something about joy and celebration. Can I have a good amen? How many enjoy having a good time? How many like a good party? Come on, how many likes to eat good food? Hang out with family and friends. Chill a little bit. See, and this is, this is our God. He's telling the Hebrews seven different festivals I want you to observe. He commands them, hey, don't work. Don't do what you normally do. You take time. But every Jewish holiday consists of three things, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. In fact, they would observe in the present this holiday, and while observing in the present, they would reflect on their past. They would remember something significant that God had done. Their history was so important that their present demanded that they acknowledge what happened in the past. But in that observation, whatever that feast or festival was, it always pointed to the future. There was something prophetic about what happened then that God says, I will do again, but I'll do it in a different way. And so this particular conversation in John chapter 8, it centers around the Feast of Tabernacles. How many of you have heard that before, the Feast of Tabernacles? I think that's an interesting study to take each one of the feasts and actually dissect what it is that they experienced. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day festival. How many likes the idea of taking a, a week off from work? How many need seven days to just rest? Yes, indeed. Seven days they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, but they would remember his provision and his protection during the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. Remember how God spoke to Moses and through the, 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 the prophet and through the leader Moses, the people were exited out of Egypt and then they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles points back to this 40-year journey. Now, they did two specific things during the Feast of Tabernacles. One thing they did is they made these little makeshift 
tents, these little booths. Another term for the Feast of Tabernacles, it's also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Shelters. They would make these temporary shelters, and sometimes they would decorate them. They would live in these shelters for a week to commemorate their 40-year journey in the wilderness because it was always on the go. They would go from one place to the next place, and so there was nothing permanent. It was very temporary, and so they were constantly moving. So during this seven-day celebration, they would make these shelters to commemorate their journey. But then the second aspect of this this feast, they had like a candle lighting service. So for seven days, as as the sun would go down and darkness would descend, they would light candles or they would light torches. Remember, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were guided by a fire by night. How many remembers that? So it was a fire that led them in the wilderness. Now, let me stop right here and say this, because some of you are in a wilderness season. Now, you're not where you used to be, but you're not yet where you want to be. You're in this transitional territory called the wilderness, and what you're longing for is direction. What you need is a light that will guide you. You see, the Israelites, when they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they would remember that light that would guide them. Wherever that torch, wherever that flame, a pillar of fire is what the Scripture says, wherever that pillar of fire would go, they would follow that light. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is part of that. It was God's way of reminding his people, I am with you. In fact, the Jewish rabbis, they would coin this term Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. How many's heard that before? You know, and that's a, that's a, a term that was coined by, it's an extra biblical term. I don't think it's actually in the Hebrew, in the Torah, but Shekinah literally means he dwells with. And it's, it was the rabbi's way of saying that our God came to dwell with us. How many of you are thankful for the presence of God? You you may not be where you want to be. Thank God you're not where you used to be, but God is with you along the way. And so this Shekinah, he dwells with us. I think it's interesting to note, I was thinking about this again this, this past weekend, but there was no such thing. The Israelites didn't have Google Maps, right? I mean, it wasn't like, hey, Siri, show me the promised land. Alexa, you know, they didn't have Echo Dot. They didn't have the the technology. Well, let me just type in the coordinates and then I'll I'll figure out the best route. You know, if we go this way, we'll save 10 minutes. Come on, how many know time is everything? You know, they, they didn't have that. They didn't have Google Maps or MapQuest, but they had this pillar of fire and it represented the presence of God, the protection of God, the direction of God, and the hope that God was giving his people. Now, this is what they were celebrating. And every night of this seven-day celebration during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these torches, except for the last night. On the final night of celebration, they didn't light any torches, but it was dark. And it's in that darkness that Jesus says these words. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more And he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Can I have a good amen? Now think about it. 
For seven days, they've been living in these shelters. And, and every night, they were lighting these candles and these torches. But on this final night of the feast, that is, is symbolic crossing of the finish line before they get, go back to life as normal. In darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What's he telling them? Hey, that pillar of fire, that light that guided your ancestors is right here. It's me. That wasn't just a torch or a flame. That was the presence, the indwelling presence of Jehovah. And here I am. You see, they were reflecting on the past, but what was hidden in their past was pointing to their future. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that. Every feast, every celebration, it pointed to Christ. And this is what I love about your Bible. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. But the New Testament is Jesus revealed. You can see the fingerprints of Jesus Christ all over the Old Testament. And what they believed by faith in the New Testament, they could see by sight. And now here 2,000 years later, we reflect back because we're looking back at everything Jesus is and what he was. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, I want to give you three thoughts out of this single verse, and I think it's going to help us understand what Jesus was meaning. Because Jesus is the light of the world, what does that say to us today? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thought down. Number one, it means we don't have to stumble in darkness. When Jesus is the light, you don't have to stumble in darkness. Question, how many of you consistently, habitually get woken up in the middle of the night and you have to get out of bed. Yeah, sometimes it's a hunger pain. Sometimes it's the bladder talking to you. Come on. Yeah, the older I get, when I go to bed, I'm realizing, okay, I know there's going to be an interruption. It's dark, you know, but you know, you're so familiar with the circumstances and the surroundings that when you got to get up, you don't even need a light. But how many of you have ever gotten out of bed in the middle of the night, made your way either to the refrigerator or to the bathroom, and you stubbed your toe? Sweet Jesus. You ever stepped on a Lego? The, the toys didn't, pick, uh, didn't get picked up last night. You told those kids to pick up their stuff. You come walking through. Yeah. Oh, man, sweet Jesus, I'm coming to meet you. That'll test your Christianity. Or in the, the darkness, you kind of see things. You're trying to make things out. And sometimes we make things out in darkness, and they appear to be so, but they're not really so. You know, the good news about light is light helps you see what you can't see in the dark. The truth is this. You and I live in a very dark world. There's darkness all around. And sometimes darkness comes in, in seasons and experiences. Sometimes we have pockets of darkness in our own soul. I think that in a room this size and those that are listening and watching online, there are some of you that are in a very dark place. And, and, and maybe it's not your fault. Just because you're in a bad place doesn't make you a bad person. Can I have a good amen? And let's please, don't, don't attach those things. Sometimes we connect dots and we try to make assumptions. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But just because you're in a dark place or a bad place doesn't make you a bad person. But we do live in a world that is possessed, captivated, and full of darkness. In fact, what I wanted to do, and I want you to stay put if you can just for a moment because I don't want anybody to get hurt. But I, I want to show you, I want to illustrate darkness and the power of light. I want to ask the guys 
just for a, a few moments to pull down the lights in the sanctuary, okay? <laughs> it is perfectly okay if you're scared to reach over and take the hand of the person sitting next to you. How many's ever been scared of the dark? Yeah, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I'm afraid of what's in the dark. We live in a world that is full of darkness. In fact, our sin nature, we are born with a dark soul. And God had to do something about that darkness. You see, in darkness, we can't see well. And if you can't see well, it's hard to know where to go. But here's what I want you to do. And some of you have already done it. Take out your cell phone and turn on that little flashlight. All right now. Hey, holla. Hey, hey, what, what? Look at here. Oh, yeah. How cool is that? In a world filled with darkness, dark experiences, dark seasons, difficult situations, look around this room. All it takes is one small light. I'm telling you, in the darkest of night shines the brightest of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Isn't this pretty cool? It's almost like we're having our own little candlelight service right here. There's a little feast of tabernacles in the 21st century. Now, guys, you can pull up the light. You can pull up the light again. Say, hey, life looks different when you have a little light. Can I have a good amen? You see, it doesn't take much light to produce hope. Jesus said, in the darkness of the world, I have come to be your light. Light doesn't make any noise, but it's simply busy pushing back darkness. You know, darkness can't remain where light shows up. That's why I wanted you to see in the natural, a picture in the spirit realm. When heaven sent us Jesus, the light of heaven stepped down into our dark world. And because of that light, we have hope. We don't have to struggle in darkness. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness could never extinguish it. Can I tell you, when it comes to light and darkness, darkness is no match for light. Light, what does light do? It pushes back darkness at every moment, at every time. I don't care how dark the world is, how dark your life may get. One little light can push back a whole lot of dark. In fact, let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you go to bed at night, you like it to be pitch black? You got to have it dark. Yeah. How many of you don't care? When you shut your eyelids, it's dark. Yeah, same here. I can sleep anywhere, under any circumstances. I close my eyes, lights are out. Rachel likes it dark. She wants it just pitch black. And hey, I like it cold. How many turn down the thermostat and you could hang meat up in there? Like a freeze. So it's dark and it's cold, and then you got the covers. You kind of slide into bed, and those covers are all up under your chin. Come on, are you with me right now? Don't fall asleep, baby. Don't fall asleep. You know what's interesting? As dark as that room may be, when that sun comes up the next morning, if your curtains aren't completely closed, come on now, 
What what does that tell you about the power of light and darkness? You know what's interesting? The next day, darkness doesn't spill out of the room onto the ground outside. Light comes streaming in from the outside and it pushes back the darkness in your room. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and remember, they're recognizing the 40-year journey that their ancestors had been through in the wilderness. He said, I was that light, and I was pushing back darkness. The darkness can never extinguish the light. I can show you where to go, and I know how to get there. You see, we don't have to stumble in darkness because light is always greater. You know, light was the first way that God demonstrated his power and authority over darkness, over emptiness, and over chaos. Notice what it says in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of those waters, and God said what? Let there be And guess what? When God said it, something happened. Some of you are here today and you're in a dark place and you need a word from God. When God speaks, things change. When God shows up, Jesus said, I am the light. All of a sudden now your perspective is different. Some of you, because you're so familiar with your house and you know the the traffic pattern, you can walk through your house with your eyes shut. But have you ever been out of town on a trip, maybe staying in a hotel, and when you go to bed, you flip on that light in the bathroom and kind of leave the door open just to crack because you think, you know what? I may need to get up in the middle of the night and I don't want to hurt myself. That light's going to help me. Jesus is the light that'll keep you from stubbing your toe. Jesus is the light that'll keep you from getting hurt. If you follow that light, let 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 me put it this way. When you get in your car at night and you crank that engine on, those headlights automatically shine. Now, it's not a spotlight to your destination. It's only enough light to illuminate the next 20 or 30 yards in front of you. But if you follow that light, That light is enough to take you all the way home. Follow the light that God has put in front of you. God said in Psalm 119, verse 105, my word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. You may not know what your destination holds. You may not be able to see the finish line, maybe that, that job that you're believing for or that child that you're believing for or that marriage that you're trusting God to restore. What does the finish line look like? I don't know. But the light that God puts in front of me is enough. And if I walk in that light, it'll get me everywhere I need to be. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the next chapter in John chapter 9, and I think this is the same context, Jesus sees a blind man. Bible says his disciples look at him and they see him in his condition and they say, Lord, why is he blind? Who sinned? Was it his sin Or was it his parents' sin? How many of you know religion will try to always blame somebody? Why is he in this bad situation? Why did this happen to him? Was it his mistakes? I'm sure he's made a lot of them. He probably, you know, deserves this this situation. Or maybe it's his parents because of of their bad choices. Why is he cursed? Because of his sin or, or because of his parents? And Jesus said, you don't even have a clue. Neither. Why do we try to attach blame for people who are in bad situations? I think that's that's kind of the tendency. The human nature is to give an explanation. Sometimes we can't explain it. 
But Jesus said, no, he's this way for the glory of God. Bible says he looked at that man and went to him and didn't even say a word. The Bible says he spit in the ground. Spit. Now, when you think of Jesus, that, that image doesn't really come to your mind, does it? Disciples, watch this. Makes this mud, you know, takes this pasty mud, wipes it over the guy's eye. Hadn't even said hello yet. Spits in the ground, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes and tells him, now go to the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash that out. And you know what the Bible says? He goes to the pool. He starts wiping that mud off his eyes. And for the first time in his life, he could see. His world had been nothing but darkness. He, I mean, imagine. He, he didn't even have any context. He'd never seen color. I mean, he'd, he'd never seen the beautiful uh, uh, creation. He, he, he never even could see to move. And now for the first time in his life, and then the Pharisees come to him. They say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. This is the Sabbath. Somebody was working on the Sabbath. And they interrogate this guy and said, who was it that healed you? Who did this to you? And the blind man, all he could say was, look, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Listen, you can debate a lot of things. You can debate politics. You can debate theory and theology. You can debate all kinds of stuff. But one thing you can't argue with is a life that's been changed. I don't understand the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, or the how. All I know is this. Here's what I once was. I was blind, but now I can see. You see, light had entered into this man. Oh, I feel the Spirit of God trying to illuminate some things. The beauty of Jesus being the light of the world is we no longer have to stumble in darkness. The Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness had wandered, but God gave them a light. The second thing I want you to see is this. Number two, not, not only because Jesus is the light of the world, we don't have to stumble in darkness, but number two, we have the light that leads to life. And, and let me flip this thing because, you know, part of this message is evangelistic. Maybe some of you are struggling in darkness. You're in a dark place. You're experiencing, you know, a, a dark pain. It's difficult to know what's your next step to take. But then some of you, maybe you're not in darkness. Maybe things are going well for you. Won't you notice this? Of all the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, there's only one that he shares with us. Only one. Jesus said, I am the bread. How many know you're not bread? You're not. Jesus said, I'm the vine. How many know we are not that vine? But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now watch this in Matthew 5. He says to his disciples and to all of us, you are the light of the world too. That's the only one of all the I am statements that Jesus shares with us. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. What are you supposed to do with light? Let that thing shine. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds, somebody say good deeds. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, here's what's interesting. We are not that light. He's the source of light, but we're reflectors of it. 
How many members as a kid growing up, maybe you, you had this in your bedroom, maybe your kids have this in their room. They got those little stars that you can put up on the ceiling. How many's had that or, or knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, and so it kind of, it's, so, it's so comforting, you know, for your children when they go to bed, you turn out the lights, there's those stars. There's something about seeing the light from those stars. But what's interesting is those lights begin to lose their illumination over time because they have no source. They simply reflect. And when the light grows dim, what do you got to do? You got to flip the lights of the room on so those stars can soak up. the. Are you with me? And then when you turn the lights back off, then they're bright. And that's a beautiful picture of you and me. We're not the source of light, but we're reflectors of it. And if some of you, your light is beginning to fade, God's saying, come and just dwell in my presence. Soak up what I have for you. Because what I have is the, the, the shining light that can never fade. And, and if, you'll, if you get close to that light, then you can begin to reflect that to the world around you. Now, now we said earlier, you and I live in a dark world. How many of you know that to be true? And darkness, people get discouraged. People lose hope, and we see depravity everywhere. But, but I want to I bring you through this line of thinking. I was, I was really challenged by this this week. How many of you are surprised when you hear a dog bark? Surprise anybody? No. Why? Because that's what they do, right? Or what about this? You ever been surprised when you hear a duck quack? No. What about a cow? When you hear it go, mmm. Come on, eat more chicken. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We're not surprised when a dog barks, when a duck quacks, or when a cow moves. Listen, why are we surprised when sinners sin? Oh, I can't believe. Oh. <laughs> Let me tell you. We got to get on Facebook and just tell everybody. I'm going to give you a piece of mama. I'm going to put you in place. I can't believe. I can't believe the world is going to hell in a handbasket. This country is going down the tubes, and, and it's all gloom and doom. And, and if we're not careful, we can be so preoccupied with cursing the darkness that we neglect to shine the light. Hey, hear me. I am not a doomsday guy. I'm not. I am an eternal optimist. And I know we live in difficult days, but there has been no greater time for the church than now. Why would I spend my energy Sunday after Sunday condemning the world that is void of Christ? Of course sinners are going to sin. Of course people are going to lie without Jesus. Of course people are going to be corrupt and self-centered and greedy and materialistic and just all anti-God. Of course they're, they're going to try to remove Jesus from the public square and from policy. But you know what? My hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in the political system. My hope is not in government or a political party. My hope is in Jesus. And Jesus is the light of the world. And why would I spend all of my energy trying to criticize the darkness when Jesus said, you better shine your light? Shine the light. We have an incredible opportunity as a church to shine light. That's why we do a missions festival. Why would we take a Sunday and, and, and set up, you know, out in the courtyard, all this food and all, man, why would we promote missions and, man, going to the nations of the world? Why? Because we're light. We live in a dark world and this is our opportunity. There's no greater time for the church 
the now. You know that we're sending this year a team. Camp Barnabas is a special needs camp up in Missouri. And it's the highlight of the year for these kids and their families. We're sending a team to a special needs camp in Missouri to add value to these precious sons and daughters. What are we doing? We're shining a light. In the Dominican this year, you know what we get to do? We get to teach high school kids character and leadership and present the gospel. We're going to do vacation Bible school and youth programs. Why do we do that? To shine a light. You know, in Kenya, we'll be able to, to stand. Before, there'll be over 10,000 students at schools all across the nation in Kenya, and we'll be able to share the gospel with them. Why would we go and do this? Because we're shining a light. You know, last year alone, in 2017, you gave almost $1.5 million to the mission field. What is that? That's shining a light. This year, we will send 20 teams to 12 different nations. Why? Because we have a responsibility to shine a light. Jesus is that light. Then he tells us, shine your light. It's interesting, how, how do we do that? He says, so that others will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what's interesting about that? Good deeds reflect a good God. When you, now, I'm not saying you do good to be saved. You know, man, we can't do anything. I told you last week, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Nobody works their way into heaven. But because of the grace of God, once we've received that light, we do good deeds to shine that light. And when people see that, they automatically connect good deeds with a good God. Do you know you and I have the opportunity to shine our light each and every day? It's something as simple as a smile. You can be in a grocery store and smile at somebody and say, hey, look them in the eye. Hey, how are you doing today? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you? Maybe the world is so dark that all it takes is one simple kind word, and there's that light bulb. Oh, I'm okay. You know, maybe it's smiling at somebody. Maybe it's shaking somebody's hand. Maybe it's buying coffee for the person that's in line behind you. Maybe it's anonymously paying for somebody's lunch. Maybe it's serving somebody. When you do a good deed, and it's in the name of Jesus. Now, it's not just to do good deeds. It's not just about social justice. And I'm all about social justice. I am. But spiritual justice is even more important. You know, social justice apart from spiritual justice is no justice at all. And so, but, but doing, doing good deeds, it shines a light and people say, well, wait a second, man. Wow. What's the, where did that come from? God says, when you shine your light, when you do good deeds, it shines out for all to see. Now, now, now let me say this. I don't want to ask the band to come up because I need to, I need to end this. We can't do everything. We can't but we can do something. Sometimes we say, oh, the world is so dark and everything's so difficult. And man, this just won't make a difference. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. Can I say that again? Don't let what you can't do, because I know sometimes we feel so small. And man, the need is so huge. 
Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. I want you to hear this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I wish I could do this for everyone, but I can't, so I'm not going to do anything. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And then what happens is your one and this one and that one. And th- next thing you know, it kind of looks like a candlelight service. All these lights, all these bulbs are burning and shining in a dark world. And together, darkness is driven out. Now, let me give you this final thought, and then I want to pray. Here, probably the best news of it all is this. One day, everybody say one day. All darkness will be gone forever. That day's coming. That day's coming. Now, it's not today. It's not now. Jesus never promised that in this life we would be without dark days. He never promised that. But he did say in the middle of your darkness, I'll give you the light that you need. Oh, and hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. 3,500 years ago, when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, that pillar of fire by night is that same light that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, is the same light that dwells within you, dwells within me. We have that eternal hope. One day, all darkness will be gone forever. Jesus referred to hell as outer darkness. But there's coming a day when all darkness, all works of darkness, all the sons of darkness will be cast out. And in that day, all will be light. One day, the sun will rise and it'll never set. Revelation says it this way. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or the sun. For the Lord God Himself will shine upon them and they will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Come on, can I have a good amen? I am the light of the world. Now let me ask you this question. What part of your life do you need to illuminate? Where do you need Jesus to step in? He's that light and he's here.